All right, well, we are in a series on Nehemiah, and what we've been talking about is the fact that we're all building something in our lives. We're actually all building our lives. And so whether you have a a family that you're trying to help build, whether you have a career you're trying to help build, whether you have a neighborhood you're trying to help build, or a church you're trying to help build, uh, we're all building something. And this story uh, in Nehemiah was written by Nehemiah. It's his memoirs, essentially his, his journal, if you will. And uh, basically, Nehemiah was a cupbearer to the king. And so uh, what had happened is in Israel, um, the Babylonians had carted the southern part of Israel to Babylon. And, uh, and they took their, 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 like their smartest people, their wealthiest people, and they tried to assimilate them to become uh, good standing Babylonians. Well, um, after that, the Persians took over and, and said to the, to the Jews, go, go ahead and go back to Jerusalem. You, you don't have to stay in Babylon. And so that's what happened. But when they got to Jerusalem, Jerusalem was in shambles. And it wasn't, it wasn't the way that it was supposed to be. The way it was supposed to go down was like this. This was God's plan. Was that God had a people, Israel. And he was going to be their God. And they were going to be his people. And, and what would happen is they would obey his laws. And in doing so, they would flourish. By obeying God's laws, the people of Israel would flourish. And God's main point was not just that Israel would flourish. His main point that is that the surrounding nations would see Israel. And, and uh, back then, each nation had their own gods. And they served all sorts of different gods. And they had a god for this and a god for that. And they put up these poles everywhere and these different idols and things like that. And so the, the idea was that Israel would be different. Israel would be a different people. And so the people around Israel would say, who's your god? You're doing great. Your, your crops are growing, you, you seem to share, you accept the, the alien, you take care of your widows, you take care of your orphans, you're just a really great people, who's your God? And to that they would answer Yahweh, Jehovah, the one and only God. And so Jerusalem is supposed to be this walled city. It's supposed to be flourishing inside and out. And uh, all of Israel is supposed to be flourishing. And that's not what happens. And it broke Nehemiah's heart. And so we asked the first week, what, what breaks your heart? What is something that you can, can invest your life into to see it rebuilt? Is it a relationship? Is it, uh, your, you know, somebody in your family? Is it... Uh, maybe your finances, maybe it's your marriage, maybe whatever. But what, what is breaking your heart right now that you, can, that you can pour into? Maybe you're worried about the next generation, right? The next generation is just breaking your heart and you just want to make it really awesome. And so you decided, and I'm so thankful that you did this morning to sign up for children's ministry. And then now we are all set, right? No, the next, the next, uh, what, what, what breaks your heart? What is it that breaks your heart that you can actually affect? Because there's a lot of things that break our hearts that we can't affect. So Nehemiah goes to the king and, the, and uh, he's sad before the king. And you're not supposed to be sad before the king. You're supposed to say everything's rosy. And the king notices and, and Nehemiah is very afraid. But God works through the king and the king gives him a bunch of money, gives him some letters and says, go rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. And so uh, we talked about that. He made it there. And then we talked about the fact that he, he uh, had opposition 
And I, I made a promise to you as your pastor and as someone who reads the Bible that you will go through opposition. <laughs> you will. There's nobody who escapes it. If your life's going great now, awesome, awesome. That's wonderful. But God has promised us, he's, Jesus himself said, in this world, you will have tribulation. You're going to have problems. You're going to have things come up. But be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. And so we talked about that. We talked about what do we do when we, we uh, have opposition. And we talked about um, the opposition that Nehemiah was facing and how he was still building the wall. Well, now when we get to Nehemiah in chapter 7, the wall is rebuilt. The wall is rebuilt, and, and more importantly, the gates are hung. They put the gates in. Now, I have a little map. This isn't uh, to scale, but what looks like a New York strip stake is actually uh, <laughs> Jerusalem, uh, and those are the different gates that they had. And these were all functional gates. They all had a, a reason for being there. So if you look at these, you have uh, uh, the sheep gate, and that's where the sheep would come in for sacrifices to the temple. You have the fish gate. I don't know why. I have no idea why there was a fish gate. Maybe because of the stinky fish. You want to have them go through one gate, right? Um, the old gate, the valley gate, uh, the dung gate. So, I know. Which is kind of weird because it's right next to the fountain gate. And that just seems, I know, really? So uh, I just, you wouldn't put there. There's the um, Richard Nixon uh, water gate, uh, the, the horse gate, the east gate, the inspection gate. All these gates were very, very important to the life inside the city. One of the things I want us to get this morning is you can build all the walls you want in your life. You can hang all the gates you want to hang. But it does no good unless you close the gates. Unless you shut the gates. See, gates are there for a reason. They're there to protect from the outside. And the thing we want to see, one of the things we want to see this morning is that life was be designed to be lived behind the gates. Israel had Jerusalem, and Jerusalem was to, supposed to flourish, and life was supposed to flourish behind the gates. Behind the gates is where the temple is. And so you can build beautiful gates, your finances, your relationships, this and that. You can have all these gates in your life, but until you have the self-control to be able to close them, <laughs> enemies can come in. We have a gate all of us do. It's called our sexuality. Sorry to make everybody uncomfortable, but I already said dung gate, so I might as well keep going. Um, our, our sexuality. And God has designed it this way. Your gates are closed. You find your spouse. You open the gates. He or she comes in. You close the gates. And there you go. And then you live life within the city. We have gates. All of us have financial gates. The principles are the same for all of us. God has given us a certain amount of finances to steward, okay? They're not ours. He gives us to steward them, to take care of them, to manage them, if you will. And it's not to just open the gates and just whatever comes in goes right back out again on Amazon. By the way, sign up for smile.amazon.com. Uh, yeah, that was... Oh, by the way, it's 0.5% of your purchases, not 5%. 5% would have been awesome, and I would have said... 
go out and just go get them. But, uh, but no, we have these, even though we're doing that with, with the Amazon thing, uh, we have these principles that God has given us. That we are to be faithful with what God has given us. That we're to be generous. That we're not supposed to spend more than we take in. That we're not supposed to be heavy in debt. Those gates are supposed to be able to be closed in order to keep the city or to keep our lives safe. So how do we do that? Well, I wanted to share a little story about the 1980s in New York. Uh, This guy named David Gunn became the commissioner of the subway system. And at that time, uh, the subways were a wreck. They were a mess. There was graffiti all over them. Crime was running rampant. And so he was in charge of taking care of the subway system. And so he came under a lot of fire because there was a lot of things going on in the subway cars while they were going. And he decided to focus on graffiti. Okay, so if, if people are getting stabbed on the subway, you'd think you'd work on stabbings. (laughs) If people are being robbed, you'd think you'd worry about people being robbed. But he decided to work on graffiti. And the reason is, is he subscribed to a theory that I also subscribe to called broken window theory. I've talked about this before because it's a very important concept in our spiritual lives. Broken window theory. What broken window theory says is if there's a building and you uh, break one of the windows, crime goes up. Okay, and it works this way. So they did a study back in the 70s where they put a car in a poor neighborhood and they just left it on the, on the side of the road to see how long it would take to be vandalized. And it took a couple days and all of a sudden it, became, it was vandalized. And so then they took the same type of car and they put it in a wealthy neighborhood and they left it on the street and it didn't get vandalized. And then they broke a window and within just a few days the whole thing was just torn up. Because when you break the window, there's a message that gets sent out that says, oh, you, they, nobody really cares about this. And if nobody cares about it, then I'll, I can just put trash in it or I can do this. And then all of a sudden it just grows and grows and grows and grows. It's broken window theory. And so this guy, David Gunn, decides to focus on graffiti. And he did it so much that when a car got graffitied and it showed up in the, the depot, If it had graffiti on it, it wasn't allowed back out. They'd have to have another car come that had already been cleaned of all the graffiti. And so they they cleaned all the cars up. And so all these clean cars now were going all over the subway. At the same time, uh, Richard Bratton became the chief of police of New York. And he decided to do something similar because he subscribed to broken window theory. And uh, what he did is instead of going after the stabbings and the robbings and all these things on the subway system, he went after the fare beaters, the ones who jump over the turnstile. Now, he came under a lot of fire as well because you can imagine if you just got robbed or you, you won't go on the subway because you read something in the news and all of a sudden the chief of police starts going after a dollar twenty-five. <laughs> You'd be kind of upset. But here's what they found. Out of, uh, three out of 20 people had an outstanding warrant that they caught. They brought in buses that were all ready to book everybody. And so three out of 20 people, one out of 20 had a weapon on them. And so they began this, this thing of just stopping the fair beaters, just stopping these little things, these tiny things that you'd think wouldn't make any difference. And all of a sudden, crime goes down. And it was an amazing uh, feat, and it was amazing. They've, they're still studying uh, 
this idea, this broken window theory. Here's one of the things I'd like us to see this morning. Broken window theory applies to our spiritual life as well. As a matter of fact, what I've found in my own life is the areas that trouble me the most start with little tiny decisions of change. And they work their way upstream rather than the opposite. And so let's say you're dealing with something like bitterness, okay? It would be very easy to read your Bible and to go, Jesus, I need to stop being bitter. I just need to stop. Ready? I'm going to stop right now. I'm not going to be bitter anymore. And then all of a sudden, time goes on and you find yourself being bitter. It would be great if it worked that way, wouldn't it? We'd all be sinless. We'd all walk in here and we go, I don't even need church. I don't need Jesus. You just tell myself to stop. It doesn't work that way in our spiritual life. We have to figure out what are the little shifts, the little changes that will work their way upstream. So we've talked about this before. If you have, some, if you have a problem with um, uh, coveting things on the internet, you can say, well, I'm just not going to, I'm going to stop coveting. Or you can start making little changes about how you go on the internet. You can make little changes about how you access, where you access, what you do, these little tiny things. In counseling, if you've ever been to a therapist, not that I ever have, but uh, if I did, he would have told me, you have to watch out for your triggers. What triggers your issue? So Lisa and I were just talking about this last night. I said, we were just having a conversation, and I was monitoring my trigger. So if, if, you, if you have a, an anger problem, which wasn't my issue, but if you have an anger problem, you can say, I'm not going to be angry. Or you can see the trigger and go, oh, I know exactly how this pattern is going to start. This is going to happen, and this is going to happen, and this is going to happen, and then I'm going to get angry. Those little decisions. Now, watch what happens. We'll get to Nehemiah now. They have all these gates, and Nehemiah says this very fascinating thing. In chapter 7, verse 3. Then I said to them, Do not let the gates of Jerusalem be opened until the sun is hot. And while they are standing guard, let them shut and bolt the doors. Also appoint guards from the inhabitants of Jerusalem, each at his post and each in front of his own house. Why did Nehemiah say only open the gates when it's hot? It's because people didn't back then attack when it was hot because it was too hot, <laughs> right? You have this whole troop of people and all of a sudden by the time you finally get up to the city, they're just like, oh God, man, let's go. You know, let me get a glass of water or whatever. You open them when it's hot, you close them when it's cool. Because Nehemiah knew this. He didn't want to get into a fight with anybody, the best thing for Jerusalem was to not be in battle at all. It wasn't to be in battle and to win the battle. It was, it was to be in Jerusalem and flourish behind the gates. And I think for some of us in this room today, there's a gate that you need to start shutting. And it just takes one little step. It might just take one little Difference in thinking. It might take one little way of uh, perspective. It might take understanding what your triggers are and going, up. Oh, I know exactly how I feel right now. I know exactly where this is leading, and I'm going to stop it right here. And that's what Nehemiah does. He says to them, 
Do not let the gates of Jerusalem be opened until the sun is hot. There are some times when you open the gates and there are some times when you shut the gates. And so, and you'll see in one of your small group questions, what are the gates of your life? Think about it. Where do you end up finding yourself in trouble usually? If you have a place that you normally find yourself in trouble, that is a gate that hasn't, it gets opened at the wrong time. It's a gate that just stays a little bit open. Here's the thing about gates. They don't have to be completely wide open for there to be a problem. Sometimes it's just the little crack. It's just the unbolting it, leaving it unlocked that allows the enemy an ability to come in. And sometimes that enemy can be Satan. Sometimes it can be our culture. Oftentimes I found it can be myself. <laughs> That I'm my own worst enemy because I haven't controlled the gates. He goes on, and this is so awesome because it gives you an idea of why we have to keep our gates shut. Now the city was large and spacious, but the people in it were few and the houses were not built. So my God put it into my heart to assemble the nobles, the officials, and the common people for registration by families. Essentially what he's trying to do is to get everybody in the house that they would have been in for their, um, their household, their family. So that each family would have a household. And so they were, he was trying to figure out where to put everybody. But the point is, is that Jerusalem wasn't flourishing the way it was supposed to flourish. That even though the walls were up, no worship was going on. And sometimes in our own lives, we get to this place where we're focused so much on our wall and our gates and all that kind of stuff that we miss what's happening in the center, the temple, this worshiping God, this experiencing God. That in fact, when we focus so much on our sin management and all these different things, we actually are forgetting why we're doing this in the first place. It's for worship. It's to get to know God in an intimate way, to get to know Jesus in an intimate way. And not to be worried about all the stuff outside the gates, outside of our influence. We sit and we sit on top of the wall and we're looking, who's going to come in? Who's going to come in? What's going to happen? What's going to happen? And we miss out on the whole point of Jerusalem, why it was walled up. That's where the temple was. So that's what he says. Let me show you one of the ways um, Jesus says this. Um, well, well no, I, I have Proverbs first. Because it's, it's this idea of, of figuring out in our lives where these, where these gates are open, where we have a place where we might not have a guard there, where we uh, might have a place where we're, we're constantly tempted to open them all the time to see what's on the other side or, or what have you. And so one of the wisest people in the world was Solomon. Uh, well, he was the wisest person that ever lived. Um, but like we've said before, the thing about wisdom is you actually have to use it. You have to actually put it into practice. And by the end of his reign, he was not putting his wisdom into practice at all. But he wrote this. The fear of the Lord, and this fear just means uh, respect that leads to submission. So it doesn't mean that you're afraid of the Lord. It's that you respect the Lord. You respect his attributes. You respect what he has to say about something. And all of us put ourselves under submission in all sorts of areas of our lives. If I go to the doctor, I'm setting up an appointment to go to the doctor, or I'm going to set, I was, I was going to, I'm going to try to set up an appointment to go to the doctor. Um, 
And, uh, but when I get to that doctor, imagine if I say to the doctor, well, doc, you, you know, you, you, you checked me out. What should I do? And he's like, he's like, I, you know, whatever you want. Like, wait a second. You went to med school. Ah, oh, yeah, I, I didn't, I didn't pay any attention during med school. I didn't, there was a lot of books, a lot of reading in med school. Let me tell you. Right? No, he has a Hippocratic, he takes a Hippocratic oath. He takes an oath to make sure that I'm okay. So I submit myself to those ground rules. You do it when you drive. When you do, a lot of you who are driving here, there are laws of the road. There's lines in the road, and you stay, hopefully, on your side of the road. Well, actually, I've seen a lot of you drive. Okay. You weave around through the thing. No, you, you, you stay in that. You try to stay yeah, within the speed limit. Um, and so that's, those are the rules. Now imagine if I said to myself, oh, you know what, red lights? No, that's, those are suggestions. I'm just going to go right through. Right? I'm not going to be long for this earth because I submit myself because I fear, I respect the laws that we've established as a society. Now, how come I can do that with medicine? I can do it in law. I can do it in architecture. I want the person building my house to adhere to the laws of gravity and levelness and all these different things, I, all, all the structural engineering that goes into it. I can submit myself to that. But what is it about following the principles of God that make things so difficult for us sometimes? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All who follow his precepts have good understanding. Isn't that amazing? It doesn't say all who understand his precepts are doing a great job. Not all who have the head knowledge of his precepts. That's not what it says. The ones who follow, the ones who understand their gates and know when they are to be opened and when they are to be closed. Uh, Psalm 112 was actually written by Solomon's dad. Uh, and he says this, Blessed are those who fear the Lord, who find great delight in his commands. Now, where do we get this broken window theory in the Bible? Well, it's from Jesus. And Jesus is talking about uh, he's talking to his disciples, <clears throat> and he says this. He had just given a, um, a parable, and he ends the parable with this, and I just find this very fascinating. He who is faithful in a very little thing is faithful also in much. And he who is unrighteous in a very little thing is unrighteous also in much. Now, what does that mean? Does it mean that if, you, if you're in, at work and you tell a little white lie, your boss says, did you finish that report? And uh, you, you knew you could finish it in like the next 10 minutes and you're just like, oh, yeah, yeah, I, I finished it, right? Okay, so it's a little white lie. Does that mean he's saying that you basically killed your boss? Like, like you were unfaithful in that little tiny thing, then you're, you're just worthless and you're, you deserve you know, eternal damnation. No, what it says is if we can control those little things, we can control a lot. If I can be honest in the small things, I can probably be honest in the big things. If I can be faithful in the little things, I can be faithful in the big things. One of the places that a lot of people struggle with is in pornography. And so I'll talk to men all the time. I, you know, I, I, I don't, you know, I, I don't want to look at pornography. I shouldn't look at pornography. I, I get all this and 
Uh, so far, I've, I've had Dungate, Sexuality, and Pornography. This is a fantastic sermon. Uh, and so uh, go, go tell your friends. Oh, how is a doozy? Um, and so, so you go, okay, I, I'm not going to look at it or whatever. Really, what that starts with is not objectifying women at all. I mean, it starts with seeing women as, as co-heirs. Seeing women as equal. Seeing women as sisters in Christ. Mothers in Christ. To see them that way. That's where it starts. If you can be faithful in that, in that little thing. I'm not objectifying women. If you, can, if you can drive down the street and not turn your head, and you can get that down, there's a really good chance that it won't build to something bigger. Does that make sense? Okay? The same thing goes for giving and things like that. I mean, if you can be faithful in just a little thing, God moves your heart a little bit to take care of someone's lunch or to take care of somebody in this little thing. As you see that, as you begin to uh, do those little things, they grow and grow and grow and grow. We see this in the area of tithing again. Since I'm making everybody uncomfortable, might as well keep going. Uh, tithing. You're like, can we go back to the sex part? Because the money part really makes me uncomfortable. Uh, I, I, I get you. I get you. But, but, uh, and so, so we see the thing of tithing. I, I talk to people all the time and they'll say, uh, 10% of my income, do you know how much that is? And first of all, I say no, because uh, I don't know how much it is. But they, they uh, will say, man, that's thousands of dollars a lot of times. And I'll tell them, can you just be faithful in a little? And it's not even really biblical from that point. Really, they should just start with the 10%. But I'll say, just try 1%. Next year, try 2%. At the end of 10 years, you'll be at 10%. There you go. Just try it. Just try the little stuff. If you're faithful in a little, you will become faithful in much. The parable of the talents is what Jesus was talking about there. And I'll bet, I can't prove it, but I'll bet those servants, when they started out, they were with whatever task they had, I'll bet the one who, who buried his talent buried his stuff most of his life. And the one who invested in the kingdom and invested for his master was probably faithful and little moving forward. And so Jesus says this, faithful and little. I'm going to ask you guys to do something weird. Uh, I'm going to ask you to take out your cell phones and turn them on because I'm going to have an exercise for you later on uh, in about five minutes. But uh, I want to make sure we're prepared. Um, and what I mean by turn it on, I mean on vibrate, okay? I don't want to hear uh, the Jetsons theme while we're uh, preaching a sermon here. You know that one, me, George? Yes? Uh, watch what Jesus says in Matthew. He's just gotten done with Matthew chapter 6, which are the Beatitudes. And he's talking about um, all, all these different uh, things about blessed is, is he who does this and blessed is he who does that and blessed is he who does that. And so he, he gets done with all these things, all these things that, that turned the religion upside down in one sermon for the, for, the, for the people around him. And then he says this, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice. It takes practice to get good at anything. It takes practice to get good at holiness. Little by little by little by little. I used to play guitar and uh, 
And uh, yes, used to. And uh, my, I have little soft baby hands now. I can't even, it hurts my hands to do it. Um, they're very supple though, so that's good. Uh, so I used to practice guitar, and um, what I would do is I'd try to play as fast as I could. Like, I'd, I'd learn some riff, and I'd try to play as fast as I could. And uh, then I met a friend of mine, and he said, your timing's all off. And I'm like, well, at least my timing's off fast, okay? And he's like, you got to slow down. And so he slowed me down to, like, a painfully slow, painfully slow. And so if I were, I, it would just be like, boom. Boom, 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 where I'm just like, oh my goodness, this is terrible. But as I perfected that slowly, then the metronome would get a click and then get a click. So that by the time I got to my speed again, it was correct. It takes practice. It takes slowing down. It takes looking at the, the things that come first, my triggers, my things like that, closing those gates. He says this, you put him into practice, is like a wise man or woman who built his or her house on the rock. The rain came down, like we said, you're going to have problems. The streams rose and the winds blew and beat against that house. Yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. And that rock is the word of God of understanding, where are my gates? Where are the places God would have me close? And here's what I found. A lot of us have different places that God would have us close and open. And so what might be great for one person to open their gate at a certain time in their life or a certain thing or this or that might not be the best place for you depending on which enemy could come through those gates. So some people can watch certain things um, and they're fine. And, and God has given them that freedom. Other people, they have to set that boundary way back. And so they'll say, I can't watch X, Y, or Z. And you say, well, there's nothing in the Bible that says you can't watch X, Y, or Z. And it's like, it's not about the Bible. It's about my gates. I have to be faithful in little. I have to take a little practice. Because I know if I open that gate, even just a little bit, if I even just turn the knob, if I just get one little thing, they're open. And so we have different standards for one another or for ourselves. Because what, what might not be a problem for my, one of my gates might be a huge problem for you. And we respect each other with that. But it's those who hear that from God. Hear those words and say, man, that gate isn't for you. You got to keep that thing closed. For you, right now, a relationship, no. <laughs> Lock the gate. You need time to heal or you need time to, to get your baggage and not bring it into the next thing. You close the gate, lock it, put a guard by it, call your girlfriend or boyfriend and tell them, if I go out on a date, you'll find me and drag me into my car. Whatever you need to do. But that relationship gate for you right now may be closed. And at some point, maybe it can open up again. I don't know. I don't know where God has you, but you do. He goes on, but everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice... It's like a foolish man who leaves his gates open all the time, who built his house in the sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great, great, great crash. I added two more greats in there because I think we've all watched this happen to those around us. 
And we say, how did that happen? How did, how did it get to that? They didn't close their gate. They didn't close their gate in time. They heard, they listened, they knew, they heard God speak, but for some reason they just couldn't get underneath the submission part of his standards. We put ourselves under the submission of our doctors, of our traffic cops, of all this kind of stuff, but when it comes to certain gates in our life. So here's what we're going to do. Before Hajua comes up, um, we're going to take about three minutes. And I'm going to do this exercise with you. Here's what I'm going to ask you to do. Can I have my phone, babe? Hey, everybody on Facebook, what's up? Um, that was the most frightening thing they'll see on the internet this week. <laughs> That's my big head right there. They're probably screaming. That was fantastic. So, and if you don't have a cell phone, you can, you can do this exercise at home or make a phone call or whatever. I want you to think of somebody you trust. Think of somebody who knows you. Think of somebody who you think, okay, I, this person, I, I could trust this person. And I want you to pick your faithful and little step, what it's going to be. And, and, and uh, if you don't have one right now and you want to, uh, that's why I'm giving us a, a few minutes is to just pray and ask God to hear his voice. What, what, what's, what's your little step? Is it to get rid of something? Is it to go get something? Is it to get rid of someone? <laughs> is it to go get someone? No, I don't, I don't do that. Right? Is it, is it, what, what, what's your little step? Is there, is there an anger issue that you're dealing with? And you know, man, this one thing triggers it every time. Every time I turn on that channel on cable, I get angry. So I got to, instead of just say, well, I'll turn it on and not get angry, I always get angry, so I'm not going to turn it on. That little step, just one little step. So you just text the person and say, I want you to hold me accountable for my next step. Now, some of your next steps could be, uh, like, I'm not telling anybody what my next step is. That, that's okay. That's okay. This exercise doesn't have to be for everybody. But I want you to think about it. What would God have me do? What, where's an area where I, 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 I struggle a little bit? And then who could I tell? Who could I tell? This is, this is my next step. This is what I want to do. So we're going to take a few minutes to do that. And uh, uh, don't look at the person next to you while they're texting, Okay. <laughs> Don't be, you know, if I have to be like this, you know, if you, you, can, you can do that if you want. If, if it's something where you're just like, look, now's not the time right now for me, that's, that's fine too. But I wanted to give us just a few minutes to be able to try it, okay? So we'll be quiet for a little bit, and then uh, Audrey will come up and uh, close us with a song.